from tomorrow morning. So that's cool. You go home and I'll, I'm okay for the night sort of thing. Um, but just make sure you're here then. So that was about six o'clock. And then they came back that night and then they did another blood test then and they came back at that night at about nine and said we can't wait any longer like get your husband back here now welcome to the becoming mother podcast my name is sarah and i am your host in today's episode we talk to tegan all things twins emergency c-section be back and life as a sleep consultant doula and teacher how she juggles all the hats whilst also having three small children. Let's dive in. Hello, how are we, Tegan? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, look, you know, it's not bad over here. It's a bit later over there, isn't it? You're getting closer to lunchtime, correct? I quickly snuck in lunch before we started recording. Otherwise, you might have heard my belly grumbling while we we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to sneak it in where you can. Normally, like hiding in a room somewhere away from the children, but you know, yeah. you got to do, do. Exactly right. So, I'm so excited to have you on today. You have a lot of knowledge on a lot of different subjects. I mean, work-wise yourself uh, being a teacher but then also being a sleep consultant and a doula like you are one very busy lady um but then you've also got your three children as well so I thought we could start by you just sharing a bit of your story um you know your kids your, your husband and um kind of what all led you to this point of being you <laughs> Yeah. So my husband and I got together in, I was in my last year of school. I was about 16 or 17, I think. Um, And we've been together since then. So what's that? Almost 11 years now, I think. Um, uh, We went for a big overseas holiday before we came back to Australia to settle down. We got married in 2018 and then had our twins in 2019, two girls, and now we've got little Louie who's just gone 11 months old. Louie's birthday is the exact same birthday as my son, but obviously a couple of years apart, but they're born on the same day. Oh, that's so funny. I'm like all about cool birth dates. My girls are like the 9th of January, so 9 one one nine for 2019 so I was all for Louis he either had to be born on the 12th or the 22nd of this of 2021 so he was the 22nd I was very happy about it (laughs) but he must have known he must have just known and he was like nah I've got to come today (laughs) exactly I was disappointed with the when the 12th passed I was like oh no it's not gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) managed to stretch it out an extra 10 days exactly (laughs) Right, so so you had the twins back in 2018. 2019, maybe. Oh, 2019. Sorry, 2019. Um, You were married in 2018, that's right. Okay, so 2019, you had the twins, and how, what did that pregnancy look like? I mean, I know with some twins, pregnancies can be quite complicated, so can their births, how did, what did yours look like? Yeah, so their pregnancy was pretty cruisy, really. I was pretty sick, like, early. My mother-in-law was a midwife, and she was like, what is, why, why are you so sick? I was like, five or six weeks pregnant, and was like, spewing and not coping with my life much um but other than that that passed around probably 14 weeks and they were um they call them like dcda 
twins, so they have their own sacs and own, own placentas, which is the least risky sort of twin pregnancy you can have. So I was pretty happy about that to have a lower, as low as possible risk twin pregnancy. And other than morning sickness, their pregnancy was really cruisy till, until about 35 weeks. Well, probably, yeah, 34 and a half maybe. Um, yeah, other than being a bit uncomfortable towards the end, I was, yeah, really happy wasn't really even too sore I think because my body it was my first pregnancy my body was sort of a bit more a bit tighter and together than it was the second time around but um yeah they it was a really crazy pregnancy um until yeah 34 weeks before about 32 or 33 weeks I started feeling like gross like I'd get a bit faint in the shower and I just feel off all the time and just generally not feeling well but never been pregnant before and especially with twins I thought it was just how you would feel you know in a at the end of a twin pregnancy um I was all for a natural birth like a uh with the girls and was dead set on it so against a section like I'm just so I can't deal with surgery and getting cut and oh the thought of it was just grossing me out so I was all for natural birth like couldn't couldn't even wrap my head around the thought of having a section and then I had an appointment at about 34 and a half weeks and I said to my husband so before I went I was like I don't care they just need to come out now like I, I cut me if you want I don't care they need to get out um, but and then I went to that appointment and they I ended up having pretty a severe preeclampsia so I my blood pressure was super high at that appointment and they took bloods straight away with a rush on them and by the end of the the appointment I only had like half an hour to go home and get my bag before I had to be back at the hospital to be admitted um what was your blood work like was it your platelets that were dropping or were you just um you know what were they necessarily looking for that they then became concerned with do you know to be honest I'm not 100 percent. they just told me it wasn't good so they didn't really sort of go into the details of it um so and then did you have higher protein in your urine is that another thing that they noticed or was it mainly just the blood pressure and then whatever results you got back in your blood work that was concerning for them I th- I'm pretty sure I can't remember completely now I'm pretty sure there was protein in my urine as well as the blood pressure being really high but I'm not sure what it was in the you know blood count that was not good yeah. um and then so they admitted me that day and said like that was a or I think that was a Monday, uh, Tuesday, and they said you have the girls or, yeah, the girls on sat, uh, probably Saturday morning. Like they were trying to stretch it out as far as they could because I think I was about 35 and 5 or 35 and 6 at that point. So were they trying to give you um, steroid injections for the twins to help develop their lungs? Was that their, Were they trying to just stretch it out a little bit longer to give them a better chance to get some more medication into them or were they more so just trying to stretch it out because they thought you could go that little bit longer? Yeah, they, they gave me steroid shots as soon as I got to hospital, but um, they were just trying to stretch it out because they thought I could go a bit longer. And, you know, at that stage, even a few days is better for them to stay on the inside if that if it's safer sort of thing. Um, so they were just trying to stretch it out that little bit longer if they could. Um, so, yeah, when I got admitted, they said the Saturday that I'd deliver them, but they were going to keep like regular blood pressures and blood tests and that sort of thing. Um, so they kept on, I think they did maybe three blood tests a day. So they did two on the first day. 
And after the second blood test, they're like, oh, you're probably not going to make it to sad day from like how the blood count or whatever it is was getting worse, like how the rate it was getting worse. Um, you're probably looking like Thursday or Friday at this point. Um, and then the next day they did another blood test and it got brought forward again until um, like the night that I had them, I think it was about six o'clock, they my obstetrician came and had a chat and said, look, you're not going to be able to go any further than tomorrow morning at six o'clock. So I, I said to my husband, like we went through like the paperwork and whatever, and I said to him, go home and get a rest. So it's going to be hectic from tomorrow morning. So that's cool. You go home and I'll, I'm okay for the night sort of thing. Um, but just make sure you're here then. So that was about six o'clock. And then they came back that night and then they did another blood test then and they came back at that night at about nine and said we can't wait any longer like get your husband back here now you need to go to surgery now oh god how far did you live from the hospital so we're not actually from adelaide but my husband was saying staying about 20 to 30 minutes on good traffic away um but on on the route to hospital there's a four-lane road um that you go along to get there and there'd been an accident on that road. So their four lanes were cut down to one lane. Um, so he got stuck in traffic on the way there. Um, and like, while he's coming, I'm like, they're coming in and they're like, when we can't wait for him, you need to get him here now. And I'm like, I, I can't do any more than what I'm doing. Like I can't control the traffic. <laughs> Hurry up, please. So he literally ran up. They'd, had, they'd got the scrubs on in my bed ready for him to go. He literally just chucked the scrubs on over his clothes as we were getting wheeled down to the theatre. Oh, my God. It was <laughs> pretty hectic from, like, the planned smoother section that would have happened in the morning to him literally running up and putting scrubs on as we are walking, getting wheeled down to the theatre. Got uh, escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> How were you going mentally at that point? I mean, the thought that, A, he wasn't going to make it in time and then, B, the fact that you had thought you were going to have till Saturday and then all of a sudden it's, okay, you're going to have till tomorrow morning and then it's, like, it's happening now. Like, was that quite a lot for you to process at the time? How did you manage that? Yeah, to be honest, it was probably like from like I freaked out when they said you're going to have them tomorrow morning. Um, yeah. But from the change from having them the next morning to them saying, no, you need to go now, it was probably actually better for me because it was like I didn't have to lay there and think about it and stress about it all night. It was just like too bad it's happening now, we're going now. Yeah. Um, so that actually probably helped me mentally not to be laying there and stressing it was just and like I'd been teary until then and I was all right I have to get my shit together now and just this is what's happening we have to roll with it sort of thing yeah um but yeah no it was actually probably a little bit easier for me doing going that quickly so then they rolled you in your husband made it in time what happened next uh so like I said before I'm not good with like Getting a mole cut out, I'd be freaking out about letting get let alone having a section and getting cut open while you're awake. Um, so I was, I got the uh, spinal block put in, which wasn't too bad. Like I was just having deep breaths through it, but it was just a bit of pressure. I wasn't too bad with that sort of thing. Um, and then lied down, and they started. There was absolutely no pain, but I could feel everything that they were doing. So I was like, oh, no. I cannot <laughs> cope with this. Um, no. So it was more just like pressure, like you could feel what they were doing, but you weren't in pain. Yes, exactly. So I could feel every cut they were making when they were pulling things open. I could feel everything. 
Um, I told Sue he had to tell me a story to distract me from it. Oh, before yeah. this, they the anaesthetist had said to me, "If you freak out too much, we'll have to knock you out for the section, like put you under general." I was like, "That is not happening." So I'm like doing everything I possibly could to stay as much as okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm not getting knocked out for this section. Um, How is your husband to it? Like, is he someone who doesn't like a lot of gore or anything like that? Or was he okay managing to just, like, calm you because he was calm himself? Or were you both struggling? Yeah, he's a pretty chill sort of person. He wasn't really too bothered. He's not grossed out by blood or anything like that. And he's, yeah, generally fairly chill. So he was pretty He was the right person to have in that moment. Exactly. Exactly. I'm telling him to tell me interesting stories to distract me and he got about 20 seconds in. I'm like, that's not interesting enough. That's not distracting me. I'm talking really good gossip. Tell me the latest gossip. Give me something that's going to be really good. So from the start of when they started to cut and then to when your babies actually arrived, was it a long period of time or how did that happen? No, no, it was so quick like maybe five minutes and they were both out um wow yeah they were really fast so I could feel the cutting and then they gave a push on one side like I could feel her pop out and then um like I I don't even know if they say they're born a minute apart I don't even I would doubt that there was a whole minute between them it might have been like I don't know 1041 and 50 seconds and then it managed to click over to 1042 for them to say they're a minute apart sort of thing because it was so <laughs> fast between them like it felt like one push on one side and one popped out and another push on the other side and the other popped out that's so wild yeah the stitching back up took a bit longer that was probably like 25 minutes ish but um yeah getting them out was so fast so once they got them out, oh, because they were a little bit early, did they go straight away into um, care or were you guys able to hold them or how did that work? Yeah, so Myla didn't cry straight away, which, of course, I was freaking out. She was the, like, twin A, so she was first out. So they took her over. I think they had to give her maybe a small recess, but it didn't take long for her to, um, you know, start crying. Um, and then while they're doing sorting that out, they got Billy out and Billy cried straight away. She was a smaller twin, but she was, um, yeah, she was loud straight away. <laughs> um, and so then they wrapped them up and I got to hold them for maybe five minutes. Um, and then they took them both to the special care unit and my husband with, went with them then. Yeah. So then your husband went with them to the special care unit. You stayed and got stitched back up. Yeah. Once you were stitched back up, how long was it before you were able to go down and see the girls at the unit? Uh, so I got put into ICU that night. Um, so I didn't see them all that night. And then it was like a battle the next day to go see them. I felt like I was well enough to go see them. I was in and out of consciousness. Like I was probably asleep or whatever for 20 hours of the 24 hour day for the next two or three days because I had a mag sulfate drip um but I was every time I was awake I was like fighting like if I'm awake I can go see them sort of thing so it took a lot of convincing for them to move me I think it was about 16 hours so they were born at 10 o'clock at night and I reckon it was about two o'clock in the afternoon the following day until I got wheeled back in to see them again. 
So with the ICU having to go down there and then having to be on the drip, what what was the reasoning behind that? What had happened that led to that? Uh, I, I think... I don't know 100% for this, but I think with preeclampsia, that's just the general treatment to help get your blood pressure and everything to do with the preeclampsia back under control and sort of leveled back out again. I think that's the general treatment for it, I believe. Interesting. See, I had preeclampsia with my middle child, um, but they managed to induce me and she came out naturally. Um, And I I did have a drip. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't have any of the after effects of anything. So maybe it's because you'd lot, like having to have the surgery, that was like an added strain on your body. So then that time to like rest and recover took that little bit longer. Yeah, I'm not too sure on that because I know I've heard of other people the same as you. Like they've had the mag sulfate drip, but it what hasn't really, you know, played a part. I know I was fairly sick, big, like, I don't, I didn't know at the time, but I was like, my poor obstetrician, I was, I'm normally not a confrontational person. And to her, I was just like, I need to get out. I need to go see my kids because to get me out of ICU, she organized, she was so lovely. She organized for me to go to labor ward. So I still had a one-to-one nurse, but I was closer to the girls so I could go see them. Like they couldn't get me out of ICU regularly to go and see them. So they put me on labor ward with a one-to-one nurse. So I could go see them like throughout the day when I could. Um, so I possibly, it was not to do with the drip. Maybe it was to do with everything else going on in my body. Cause yeah, I remember having a go at it one time, like I need to go see my kids. I can't like just lay here. She's like, I don't think you realize how sick you are. I'm like, well, maybe I don't, but I still need to go see my kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's so hard when you get separated from them, basically straight after you give birth to them and then they're just gone. And it's like, you know, you understand that you need to look after your own self, but you still also have this obligation and this sense of responsibility that you're supposed to be caring for your child, even though a lot of the time there's not a lot you can physically do to help your child in that moment because they're either in an incubator or they're hooked up to things or they're not physically feeding anyway, they're feeding via a tube. So you can't actually do much, but you you have this sense of, well, they're my kids, I have to, I have to look after them. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a feeling like you're missing out almost. Like my husband was so good. He was between either the girls or with me the entire time and he was doing all like their cares and stuff like that. Um, But it's like, yeah, they're my kids. I want to be with them and I'm missing out on this time sort of thing. Um, So once you had recovered and you were able to go and spend time with the girls, how long was it before you were able to hold them and how long was it before you were able to have a twin cuddle? Like what what was the process there? Yeah, so they were pretty healthy really. They were small, so they had growth restriction and were born like Milo was 2 kilos and Billy was 1.7 kilos when they were born at 35 weeks. Um, But they were reasonably healthy like they had it were in the incubators to um, maintain temperature and then it was really just feeding that they had to get under control um so when I got wheeled in from ICU the next day I had a cuddle straight away with them then and then each time I went down I was like able to grab them out and have a cuddle they they like you to keep them in the incubators as much as possible but if they were having cares or whatever they were quite happy for us to get them out and have a cuddle and we'd just always extend it a little bit longer, stay there for an extra hour or something and pretend that we're not watching the time so we could have a bit of an extra cuddle. But 
I think if you had a sicker baby, maybe you might be a little bit more strict, but we're a bit uh, pushy with what we wanted because we knew like they were reasonably healthy. They were just small and needed to get their feeding under control. So if we could have a sneak an extra half an hour cuddle in, we would each time. How did they go in the incubator? Did they end up needing any lights or anything? Did they have any jaundice or were it just the warmth not um, needing to have lights on? Yeah, no, it was just the warmth. Um, they had a few DSATs here and there, but like I said to my husband at the time, I think all babies probably would have a few DSATs here and there as they're getting used to the outside world. It wasn't anything that was like dangerous DSATing, but because they're hooked up to monitors and the doctors could see it, they kept them attached to the leads for a little bit longer. Um, so they had a few of them early, but they once they um, could maintain their body temp, they sort of didn't they sort of faded out too they had to go 48 hours without a DSAT um to get off the leads and get into an open crib and um yeah they did that quite easily and then it was just getting their feeding under control they had tubes in they just couldn't I really wanted to breastfeed them and I was trying to get them on the boob um to feed and they just really couldn't get the hang of getting on by themselves and nurses were beautiful there and really helpful but I think they just thought they were small and maybe the feeding issues were just because of their size and that sort of thing. But in the end, I was just like, so I don't care if we have to bottle feed, like it's not the end of the world for me. I really wanted to breastfeed, but do you know what? Nothing else has gone to plan if this doesn't go to plan, but I can get them home sooner, like we'll just go to bottles. Um, But while I was there, I saw someone else had started um, using nipple shields and I was like, do you know what, stuff it. Maybe it will help them latch a little bit better. So we went and got – that was our last thing. We were like, okay, we're going to try nipple shields for two days and if they haven't got on the bottle – on the boob by then, they can have tri bottles because we were confident. Like they were so good at sucking on their dummy and stuff. We were confident that it wasn't like a sucking issue or anything. Like they were capable of doing it, but it was just they couldn't get their latch right. Um, so we went and bought nipple shields that day and they latched that day and started feeding really well. So from them latching, it was like maybe three or four days when until they got out because they were like they were so ready for it. It was just the latch that was the issue. I don't even know what question you just asked me. I feel like I just went on a massive ramble then too. <laughs> no, that was fine. You know, you touched on everything that I was going to ask anyway. So you just did it in one fluid sentence and <laughs> having to interrupt. So but, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that was perfect. The um, nipple shields are amazing. I know that they helped me with my premie. I mean, I'm not sure how much you know about my story, but I have three premature babies. Yeah. Um, and so my 32-weeker, she really struggled to feed. Even when we went home from the NICU, she still had a tube for about nine months after we got home. Right. Um, but one of the things that really did help her when she did decide she had enough energy and was going to feed was having a nipple shield. Um, and it's actually interesting that, for me, nobody in the NICU actually offered to try that and it sounds as if that was something you thought of and from what you saw, not that that was offered to you either. Um, and I just I, I always say to, to people that it is always worth trying um, but that you're not always offered it. And sometimes I know that with my other two, um, when I tried to use a nipple shield up on the ward after I had them, some of the midwives actually told me off for it. So it's interesting how, like, different 
people can associate whether that's a good or a bad thing to use. Um, but in your case, it helped and it worked. Um, and in, in my case, it helped a little bit as well. So it's definitely something to keep in mind when people are trying to feed as well before they extend all their other options. Um, once you had used the nipple shield successfully, did you then use any bottles at all anyway because you weren't there to feed or did you manage to be there for every feed? Yeah, no, and they were still having top-ups at that stage just to make sure they were getting enough. They weren't too fussed if we, um, like, they'd sort of judge the top-up on how long they were on the boob for and they weren't too fussed on how much they were getting in the top-up because they were feeding well on the boob. Um, but overnight I was pumping as well, so and I had oodles of milk. Once I feel like once you start pumping for prem babies, sometimes you can just get too much and that definitely happened to me just because of, you know, the schedule and pumping at certain times and making sure that you're getting a certain amount out each time. So I had oodles of milk. So they would just feed them a bottle overnight um, if they're awake enough. And if not, they'd put it in the, um, through the tube because they still had them at that point just as a just in case they didn't want to take them out and then have to put them back in again if they didn't have to. Um, Did you have any um, complications from your pumping so much and having such a heavy um, milk supply? Did you have any mastitis or anything or were you fairly lucky in that regard? Yeah, no, I got mastitis maybe four or five times, even once they were home as well. I got it really bad once when they were in special care unit and it just it hit me so quickly. I didn't even know what was happening. I was It was probably a good thing that the first time it happened it was when I was in special care unit. Yeah, because it, I was, it comes on so su- suddenly, doesn't it? And it's hot and it's so red and it's hard. And then you just get like that fever and that like cold and flu sort of symptoms almost. Yeah, like I was, I went in fine. I was sitting there, fed the girls for half an hour. And then all of a sudden I was like, had the biggest headache of my life. I was like shaking. I was hot. I was sweaty. And I was like, I didn't know what was going on. My poor midwife came over. She must have been able to see. I was like, oh my God, I do not feel good and came over and she asked me what was wrong. I burst into tears. I was like, I don't know what's wrong, but I feel awful. She's like, oh, that sounds a lot like mastitis. And she's like, let me have a little look at your boobs. And I had the biggest red boob and it was so hot and sore. So luckily they got the obstetrician straight up and I had gone to antibiotics straight away. But um, yeah, I was so ill that day. I couldn't believe how bad how, and how quick it was. How did the twins go feeding once you were on the antibiotics? Yeah, it didn't really make all that much difference for them. I think it could have been even uh, before they were fully on the boob. Like it might have been while they were – like each feed I was there for, even when they weren't on the boob, they'd have – like I'd put them to the boob first and have a little – like they'd have a little go and even I'd hold them to the boob while I was putting um, the milk through their tube to try to sort of create that association. Um, so I think – it was probably it was before they were actually, you know, feeding properly from the boob. So, like my little feed that I said um, that they had was probably just a, you know, a few sucks here and a lick there, and that was it. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was before they were properly. So, not great feeders in terms of helping with your mastitis, but I also hear they're not great sleepers. What was that like when you brought them home? Yeah, so the first night we got home, we had a few visitors over because, like, my nans and that hadn't been able to see them in Adelaide. Um, and we got home and, like, it would have been a busy afternoon anyway. I got home, uh, put them to bed and they woke up every two, hour and a half to two hours overnight, Not even, maybe not even that. 
um, and then wouldn't resettle and that was so noisy because Prems are often noisy in their sleep. <laughs> I remember laying there thinking, what the heck have I done? Like, I can't do this. <laughs> um, like, I've wanted them to be home for so long and now I've got them home and I'm like, I can't. Like, no way. Um, yeah, <laughs> obviously that's normal for newborns, but it, it definitely hit me like a ton of bricks, especially with the two of them. Um were they tag teaming you? Were they alternating who woke up when or were they both up at the same time? No, they're tag team. Sometimes they get up at the same time. I always woke them, woke the other twin up. Like whoever got up first, I'd wake the other one up to feed them at the same time to try sort of stretch out the stretches in between. But they're tag team a lot of the time. Um, but, yeah, yeah, didn't know what I was doing with myself at that point. Um, they did, and because they were on a four-hourly feed schedule in um, special care unit, I thought for sure we'd get home and there'd be four hours between each feed and we'd be on that schedule still. But they uh, certainly didn't do that. They let loose as soon as they got home. and didn't They had other plans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've done whatever they've pleased ever since then too. They still do it at three. But... <laughs> Um, How did you manage their sleep? Like, what did you end up doing to get them into a good routine? Did you seek help elsewhere, or did you just do research yourself, or did you just try different things? Yeah, I did a lot of self research. Eventually, after probably a month or so at home, they sort of settled into a routine of waking up about 11 o'clock and about 3 o'clock, and then they'd sleep till 8. And that was really good uh, until the four month sleep progression hit. And then it it all turned to poo (laughs) they went back to that hour and a half to two hourly wakings overnight and we just could not get decent amounts of sleep we'd be up four five times a night some nights and it just yeah we'd still be waking the other twin up when one of them woke up so then they're probably not stretching like helping them to stretch their sleep either if they're getting woken up but I sort of try, wanted to try reduce the amount of wake-ups. I didn't want to put one twin back to sleep and then the other twin wake up half an hour later and I have to do it all over again. And because their feeding wasn't great, they'd feed for like 50 minutes at a time. So it wasn't like a quick up and down feed. It was a long stretch once I got them up for a feed. Oh um, did you alternate so that your husband like fed one a bottle while you did breast on that and then you'd alternate again? Or did you breastfeed for both of them at that time? Breastfed both of them at that time. Um, oh gosh, so that was a long process. Oh, yeah. So my husband would get up with me and he'd change their nappies while I went and got set up set up on the couch with my feeding pillow. So he'd change them both and rewrap them and bring them out to me on the couch. And then he'd go back to bed because I could get them off and back to bed sort of by myself. So I didn't see but, them all um, that yeah, night. And then it was like a bad week when they're doing that four or five times. I felt like I was well still had to try work and to go see them. I was in and out of consciousness. I remember I was so tired. I remember my like someone would come over for a visit at like four o'clock in the afternoon and I'd just leave them with the girls and I'd sleep till seven o'clock and then go back to bed at nine with no issues. Like I was just so tired of sneaking in naps wherever I could. Um, you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. Then about seven or eight months, I was like, I am so done with this. I cannot like not have good sleeps anymore. Um, so I just got like a sleep program off the internet um I think it was like it was not an expensive one it was like a 70 dollars sleep program or whatever that said it would could cater for twins um I was so against 
any crying. So I didn't want to, I, I needed one that said that they'd be gentle and there'd be not much crying or not any crying sort of thing. Um, so we started with uh, just like a sleep schedule, which is for anyone that is wanting to start a gentle sleep training, like that's a great place to start just to make sure you've got awake times and sleep times and amount of sleep like right. And that made a difference straight away, even just changing. So they had a set sleep times and once they got to the end of their sleep time, I'd wake them up sort of thing. Um, That made a big difference because I was just, sometimes I wouldn't sleep for like four hours in the day and I'd have to rock them and hold them to sleep and wouldn't be able to do anything while they were asleep because if I moved, they like would wake up because they were just, they would have been so overtired because I just was, you know, didn't know what I was doing and wasn't following any um, awake windows or anything like that. So that made a difference. And then I figured they were like to settle them, someone would have to cry anyway because whoever I wasn't settling would be crying. Like I used to feel so guilty, especially in the early days as a twin mum. I used to like, like, it's so unfair. I can't meet your needs as soon as you need them met. Um, yeah, need them met. And I've spoken to other twin mums, and I think it's a really common thought to have that you could just you just physically, if it's just you, that you can't meet their needs straight away. Like that, sometimes they're just going to cry for a little bit because there's nothing you can physically do to help both twins at the same time. Um, so I figured sometimes they're crying for longer than I'd like them to anyway. For like while I'm set trying to get the other one to sleep anyway. So I thought if I do two minutes settling with them, like rocking them, patting them, and then I swap twins, at least it's only two minutes. It's a lot less than they're crying now anyway while I'm trying to settle the other twin. And that was sort of what the sleep program had suggested to start with is just really short periods of seeing if they'll self-settle themselves. And again, that made the world of difference. That was like the final piece to the puzzle. Um, I'd like obviously still go in as many times as I'd need to go to sleep. And if one twin had gone to sleep, I'd might stay and settle the other twin for longer, but I'd just literally go between them, like settling one for two minutes swap. So they only had two minutes without me each time. Um, Yeah. To get them to sleep. But that bit of time that they were allowed to have a go at self settling themselves, sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't. And I'd just rock them to sleep anyway, but just that little bit of time for them to sort of try independently. They got it really quickly. Um, like maybe three or four nights and they were able to not always but sometimes self-settle to sleep and it made the world of difference overnight because I think when they were waking up overnight they were able to have those skills to self-settle again themselves because they'd had practice during the day from them um so yeah that was about eight months and then they've been really obviously you have crappy nights here and there but they've been really good sleepers ever since Suffice to say that from that experience, that changed a little bit of the trajectory of your life because then you went on after you had Louis to actually becoming a sleep consultant, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Louis wasn't too bad of a sleeper, but there's definitely such a need for um, sleep consultants. Obviously, you can do online stuff, but also someone to come to your house and there was nothing really in our area. So I could see the need was definitely here. So I thought, why not jump on that? Um, so I can help some other mums. I think having poor sleepers, you understood as well um, a common fear that I think a lot of us would have. The minute I think and other people I know think of sleep consultant, we're like, oh, my God, they're going to tell us to cry it out and, like, I don't want to have to do that, so I'm not going to pay someone to torture my kid. 
Um, but that's not necessarily how that works, is it? There is lots of different options and different ways to go about it. Um, can you like maybe explain a little bit about what it is and how you can go about it that is different from what people's perception might be? Yeah, absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong. There's probably some sleep consultants out there that are not meaning to be mean to them rubbish and they will tell you to let them cry. But um, like that's where you do a bit of shopping around. Social media is so good now where you can see what sleep consultants sort of values are just from looking at their pages and that sort of thing before. And there's so many sleep consultants out there now that are really gentle and if you want no crying whatsoever, like obviously I was happy with crying for the girls because, you know, it was better than the what I was doing before anyway. But if you want absolutely no crying, there's so many different things that you can do to improve sleep without doing any crying at all. Um, yeah, things like changing routine, awake windows, different settling methods. You've just really got to get inventive. I've worked with a few um, parents now that are, like absolutely no crying and that's absolutely fine um would it be really gentle and it's it's not even just me coming up with ideas like we just talk it out and work together and see sort of what what will work parents know best for their kids um and what will work for them so it's all about talking out I'll give ideas but then they'll give ideas back and sort of I might say something that like that won't work for my little boy but this might and it's sort of on the same sort of wavelength um so yeah it's all about talking it talking it out I've had a few clients now that have been to other sleep consultants and they've been those ones where it's all about this is what you do and there's no other way to do it sort of thing and it just hasn't worked for them and so it's nice to find sleep consultants that are that little bit more flexible um and open to sort of coming up with some more innovative ideas and talking it out first and there's definitely lots out there now that you can you can find you just need to look at their pages a little bit to see what their philosophies are before you jump on board and pay them pay them some money. So out of curiosity, probably not because this is my middle child to a team, <laughs> but is there an age where you just give up because my child is three and she still sleeps in my bed and she goes to bed when I go to bed because she will not go to sleep unless my husband and I are laying either side of her and she is, we're going to sleep. Then she will go to bed. So <laughs> I kind of feel like, have I, have I hit the point in the road where I've lost all hope and there is just nowhere for it to find it? Or is there something like, can, is it still um, something that we can work with at that age? <laughs> There's definitely, I'm, I'm trained up to about five or six years. Um, but there's always things that you can do. Three is a really tricky age because they think they're the boss of everyone at that age. Um, <laughs> that sounds but, like that. <laughs> but um, they, yeah, there's so many different things that you can do still. When they get a bit older, you can be a little bit more creative on like how you do different things. But there's definitely, especially if going from co-sleeping, I've just helped someone go from co-sleeping to sleeping in their own room recently. There's lots of, especially once they're older as well, there's lots of little steps that you do along the way to make like ease the process for them but yeah especially for three-year-olds you have to get a little bit creative and play the game with them a little bit because <laughs> yeah oh, we, they like to think they're the boss of everyone at that age <laughs> we we did it to ourselves not that we were always planning on co-sleeping but she originally slept really well um, when she was one, she ended up getting encephalitis, which is a brain infection, and she ended up in hospital. Um, and they did a lot of the work on her 
in a cot. So they held her down a lot in the cot and everything like that. So then she became fearful of her cot. So then we got a sleep specialist out to try and work through that to get her back to sleeping on her own. And we did. And then she got sick and she went back into her cot at a hospital again. And then she just wouldn't. And then she ended up in our bed and she's been in our bed ever since. So I'm glad to know that it's not something that like if you hire a sleep specialist, it's kind of within the first 12 months to two years. And then after that, you're on your own. It's a case of you can still work with older children. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's that's exciting to know. So you do your sleep consultancy, but yeah. you also do something else. You're also a doula. I am. I am just, yeah. I started studying that maybe in like April, March last year. And I've just, I'm on my last like student client now and I'll be qualified very soon, but I am um, taking bookings and doing birth prep and stuff already as part of that business. So how do you juggle it all? Because what the listeners may not know, because I didn't even know it, is not only are you a sleep consultant, not only are you a doula, and not only do you have three kids, you're also a teacher. So how do you mum and work, and not just work, work three jobs? (laughs) A lot of juggling there. Um, I'm actually hoping, fingers crossed, that it's going to be a little bit easier soon. So Louis hasn't been in childcare of any sort yet. Um, The girls were going one day a week, which while Louis was little, that was really helpful because he still slept lots and he's a pretty chill kid. So I'd squeeze a lot of my work like the doula and sleep consulting stuff, you know, I'm on, I'm just finishing my maternity leave as a teacher now. So I've been off from that for this past year. So I'd squeeze that sort of stuff in on a Thursday when the girls were at childcare. Um, but as he's gotten older, he's a little terror and he's actually easier now when the girls are home. So I've sort of lost that time as well. So I've been uh, trying to squeeze it in when Saul gets home from work. I, he takes the kids for me and I'll squeeze a consult in here or there and, you know, get babysitters from where I can. So it's been a real juggle lately. Um, but they're all starting at a family daycare starting this week. So that will be very helpful. So they'll be there two days a week and then the girls will be at occasional care and my sister's going to look after my little boy. So there's some childcare now, which is going to make things a whole lot easier. So I'm hoping I will have less of a juggle and more set work time soon. Obviously, I'll have to juggle here and there, but more set work times that I'll be able to just set that time aside for work rather than juggling and squeezing it in here and there. Fingers crossed anyway. (laughs) So I know um, for myself, I obviously work and have my kids, like my oldest is in school and my two little ones are in daycare and I get the mum guilt bad. I am like, oh, I should be spending more time with them or but I need to like show them that I can do work and and reach my dreams and goals while also being a mom but then like you know finding that balance of give and take enough to make my business thrive as well as my children thrive it ends up being in a lot of mum guilt um how do you manage that yourself like how do you find that you find that balance I've got that massively, um, especially at the moment. Um, so I, like I said, I'm just squeezing in where I can. Like, so I was taking the kids to the beach this morning so I can get some work done. And so I feel like I'm missing out on things that the kids are doing with Saul and whatever now because I'm sort of using that time. Like I've got some, I can have that time for work stuff. So I'm using that at the moment. So I'm really hoping to, as of like next week, I'm, I've got some work times throughout the week set. 
and I'm hoping that that will be work time and when I'm not in work time I'll be able to just focus on home life and sort of separate those times into blocks a little bit more so it's I'm hoping I'll be able to be more present when it's home time with the kids and doing fun things with them and then when it's work time it's work time and I'll I'm hoping that that will ease that guilt a little bit where I know that they're still getting all of me at home time but I'm also giving work my all when it's work time and I'm not trying to split myself 50-50 the whole time so fingers crossed anyway. (laughs) So if you were to ask your children in 20 years time what they remember you being like as a mother during this period what is it that you would want your children to think and remember you by? Uh, I would like to think that they thought I was really fun and I gave them lots of really cool experiences and we did lots of different like adventurous sort of things. They're really outgoing kids on the most part. So I'd like to sort of harness that and support them to grow into who they want to be sort of thing. And I'd hope that they'd see that in the things that we did together and that sort of thing. Do you think in how your kids see you and how you see yourself as opposed to how other people see you that there's a big misconception? Yeah, definitely. People think I have my shit together and I really don't. (laughs) Everyone says, how do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just really juggling and I've got no idea what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. I think anyone that sees a twin mum is like, oh, my God, that is a super mum. She knows it all. She's got it all. She's so, she's sorted. She's got it going. But really, you're a duck on a pond, aren't you? Like you're just exactly. you're like, you're a million miles underneath and you just look calm on the surface. Look chill, but I'm not. <laughs> so there was like a piece of advice you could give another mum that was um, just found out that they're going to have twins or uh, just birth twins or in the early years of having twins what is it that you would say to that fellow twin mum that might help? I would just say, and I even not to twin mums, I've got a few friends and, you know, people that I work with for sleep stuff that are like so concerned about what the books say and what you should and you shouldn't do. I just do whatever works. Like if obviously do do things that are safe, but also if, you know, giving them a bottle just as they're going to sleep helps them to go to sleep like do that it's not the end of the world you can worry about getting them off of using bottles later like they don't have to stop using bottles when they're one they can stop using bottles when they're ready or you're ready to stop using bottles just do whatever works do whatever makes your life easier so you can enjoy the time rather than stressing all the time on how to you know stop them using a dummy or whatever you want to stress about um yeah just do whatever works a hundred percent you just gotta survive we're all surviving that's exactly right <laughs> we're all ducks <laughs> yeah, we are all ducks on a fucking bond um so i i guess you have so much within this story of yours that you have had to go through um from like your pregnancy with the twins to then your preeclampsia your emergency C-section, the the twins going into special care, then resulting in having mastitis. You know, you had such a big journey. And then along came Louis and it was such an easier process. How how do you manage your expectations then? Like were you expecting everything with Louis to go that little bit rougher and then it was just a relief when it wasn't? Or you kind of, do you have like a part of anxiety from everything that happened with the twins that you've then pushed on to having with Louis where you just keep expecting the worst to happen or how does that work? Yeah, 
Definitely. I was so anxious and stressed throughout his pregnancy because I so wanted a natural birth and just for things to go really smoothly. And even not even so much the birth, it was probably more so the after, like the special care unit and stuff. I just wanted to, you know, bring him home straight away and not be struggling myself and then not also have a kid in hospital sort of thing. Um, So I was really stressed about all of that. And I thought a natural birth would help me get there and I wanted to experience that. But then, yeah, also I wanted to have a smooth, healthy, a smooth birth, smooth postpartum and a healthy baby to just, you know, bring home and enjoy straight away. Um, He was sitting breech or flipping and doing whatever he pleased until about 34 or 35 weeks. I think he just had that much room in there from the girls that he just could do flips whenever he wanted to until then. Um, So uh, that was another level of stress. Generally, other than, you know, worrying about him flipping from breech to head down all the time, his pregnancy, nothing major was going on though either. But I think because the girls' preeclampsia setting so quickly and so late, it was also always sort of something hanging over my head. Like, what if that happens again? Or like, I I wasn't, I literally went for a tour for the girls um, at a different hospital where I could have a natural birth the day before I had them because that was the plan all along like that's how quickly things change with the girls so I think that was always a little a concern for me for Louis's birth um that thing what gestation did you end up having Louis at sorry what gestation did you say yeah. uh he was 39 and 5 um so you had quite a few weeks where you were like just waiting for preeclampsia to rear its ugly head you yeah just, yeah and, and I, I wasn't used to going over 35 weeks. So those last four and a half weeks were a struggle for me. I I was like, I didn't want a prem baby, but at the same time I was like, oh, I cannot handle being this pregnant. This <laughs> <laughs> actually going all the way to term thing, right? <laughs> How big do these babies get? <laughs> not used to this. <laughs> so with that, you were saying you really wanted a natural birth. So that actually led to you trying to have a VBAC. Um, you yourself did a lot of research on that was that something your obstetrician was quite supportive of or did you have to find a different obstetrician um yeah I did heaps of research myself I was very sure on what I wanted um in where in the country so in our town the obstetricians just rotate you don't have any choice on who you have um I'm luckily the obstetricians that are in rotation are pretty good and pretty open to you know, what the women are looking for. Um, So I only ended up, I think I had two appointments with the obstetrician for the whole pregnancy. Um, The first one was just after my 20-week scan. And he was lovely, but he wasn't going to be there at the birth. So I had a few chat about a few things with him, but thought, what's the point in going into too much detail with what I want and stuff with you because you're not going to be here anyway. But he was all for a VBAC. He couldn't see sort of any real issues and had supported VBACs at our hospital as well before. And then I had an appointment at about 36 weeks with the obstetrician that would be there for the birth. So we went over everything. And I, um, again, was very straightforward with her with what I wanted and how it was going to be sort of thing. But she was all on board for that. So I said, I'm not having an induction. I'm not having a repeat section just because of post dates you can induce me but you can wait till 42 weeks to do that and all of that sort of thing um and she was like fine that's cool whatever I'll see you just after 41 weeks and we'll book some things in then if we have to but if not I'll see you when you have your baby sort of thing so she so how did you manage to only have two obstetrician appointments um in that pregnancy when you were a known preeclampsia 
patient. I still had lots with the um, midwife. So I okay. saw a midwife. So did you have a regular pressure check? I think it might have been like once every month. Like yes, yep. Yeah. So I yeah had quite regular appointments, probably more regular than normal with the midwife and we'd check, like test my wee and test... Um, my blood pressure each time and they do they did a few blood tests but I don't know if there was any extra ones in there um to keep monitoring things and if there was any concerns I was to go see the obstetrician again but there was never any concerns with it it was all pretty good that's amazing and you ended up getting your v back and you had a beautiful birth or how did that go no yeah I was uh very lucky I Went into labour naturally. I was probably in early labour the whole day before. I didn't really realise. I had Braxton Hicks with both my pregnancies from like 20 weeks. So the day before I had him, I thought that it was just Braxton Hicks again. I thought they were a bit more intense, but I'd been that hopeful that I was going into labour for so long that I was just like, oh, do you know what? It's never going to happen. I'd given up on it. Um, so I was probably in early labour the whole day before, but it wasn't until about, I don't know, 11 o'clock midnight that I actually got woken up by the contraction. And I thought, oh, maybe this is the real deal if I'm going to get woken up by it. Leave it at home for to about, I don't know, 8 o'clock the next day, 9 o'clock the next day. Went up to hospital and I was 6 centimetres dilated and I reckon that was about 9 or 9.30 and I had him at 10 to 1. So once I got to hospital, things got moving pretty quickly and, yeah, it was all really smooth sailing and I was just very lucky. I stayed a night after I had him in hospital but you couldn't get me out of there quick enough the next day. I cried just so on the way out of leaving hospital. And he's like, why are you crying? I probably had a lot of hormones helping this along, but why are you crying? Like, I just hate the hospital so much. It's like, we're literally walking out. I'm like, I know, but I still can't get out soon enough. <laughs> I think if, I think once you've experienced that birth of a premature baby where your child gets taken away and put in care and, and you are separated from them and you have to leave the hospital without them, I think, returning to a hospital is a very difficult thing so then to birth another baby after that experience the first thing rightly in your mind was that you wanted to get out take your baby and leave so you know it is a very emotional time but especially after um, having you know a baby in care I think that is it just hits home that little bit harder but I'm so happy and glad that you managed to have a successful birth that resulted in the VBAC that you wanted and that you managed to have a beautifully healthy boy and were able to then leave the hospital and go home to your girls. Um, how did Louis and the twins go when they first met each other? <laughs> um, really good. They are. Myla is my super funny but super like uh, don't care about things sort of girl. She still loves him so much but she's like, at the start, she's like, yeah, he's cool, but I'll take him or leave him. Billy is like another mum. Well, they're both like another mum, but like so caring, loves her baby. She's always the mum in pretend play and all that sort of thing. So she's <laughs> obsessed with him from the second she met him. So she was um, a real helper. <laughs> oh, yeah. But poor boy, he has three mums now. He gets dobbed on all the time as soon as he tries to do anything that's remotely naughty or they'll tell him off or pull him away. Or... He's going to live for his time with just soul so that he can, like, just go have boy time away from all the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. 
Oh, I'm so glad that in the end it all worked out and that you have your three beautiful children and your husband and that everything kind of went on track and that you've now changed the trajectory of your life from being a teacher to being a teacher, a sleep consultant and a doula, all impacted by the journey you had with your children. Um, and I really do hope that um, everything with your new ventures and that balancing act that you're going to find over the next coming weeks as the kids go into care all works itself out and that you just continue being an absolute superhero and super mom and super working boss baby. Thank you for listening to episode two of the Becoming Mother podcast. I hope you enjoyed Tegan's story and will join us to hear from Kieran next week all about matricence, hypnobirthing and her own journey through motherhood.